From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Descher, and this is Heritage Explains. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes against al-Qaeda terrorist training camps and military installations of the Taliban regime in Afghanistan. These carefully targeted actions are designed to disrupt the use of Afghanistan as a terrorist base of operations and to attack the military capability of the Taliban regime. I gave Taliban leaders a series of clear and specific demands. Close terrorist training camps, hand over leaders of the Al-Qaeda network, and return all foreign nationals, including American citizens, unjustly detained in your country. None of these demands were met. And now, the Taliban will pay a price. Do you remember October 7th, 2001? Now over 19 years ago, when President George W. Bush announced that our brave men and women would go to war against the Taliban in Afghanistan. This, of course, after the terrorist attacks on 9-11. While there were early signs of victory, the war has continued to rage on, becoming the longest war the U.S. has ever been a part of. Here's ABC News coverage from 2008, demonstrating the ferocious fighting of the Taliban. This is one of the deadliest attacks of the war. The target, a remote U.S. outpost in Wanat. Just a few hours earlier, Taliban fighters on their way to kill American soldiers. They chat calmly on their radios. Relax, brother, says one. And they pray to Allah. And then, as dawn breaks, the assault begins with a hail of gunfire. And some form of this fighting has continued since the war started. So... How do we finally get to peace? When President Trump came into office, he was clear that his desire was to end the war in Afghanistan. But that has not seemed possible or likely. That is until this happened late last week, according to Fox News. Secretary Mark Esper says the U.S. will begin withdrawing troops from Afghanistan within 10 days. This comes two days after the two sides signed a historic peace deal that is supposed to pave the way to end America's longest war. And here's Secretary of State Mike Pompeo responding to questions by Brett Baer on whether this deal is actually going to work. There's been a lot of work done at detailed levels about how this will proceed. Uh, So far, so good. We're we're just hours into this. Uh, I'm sure we'll have days when we start and say the the problem's big, uh, but we're determined. The president's made this commitment. Our mission set is to protect America from the threat of terrorism from Afghanistan, to reduce our cost. I was a CIA director. I was a soldier. I want to see fewer Americans having to make their third, fourth, and fifth trip there, and fewer Americans coming home injured, maimed, or worse yet, never having a chance to be with their loved one again. That's the president's mission. It's what this agreement is aiming to achieve. So what exactly does this deal entail? Is it feasible? Is it practical? Do we know whether or not the Taliban is taking this seriously? And 
Can there finally be peace in Afghanistan? To answer these questions is Luke Coffey. He's the director of the Allison Center for Foreign Policy here at the Heritage Foundation. He's also a U.S. Army veteran who received the Bronze Star while serving in Afghanistan in 2005. This week, we're honored to have him explain. Luke, how long has the country of Afghanistan been at war? Well, Afghanistan has been at war in some fashion or another since 1979, and that's when the Soviet Union invaded. Uh, The Soviets uh, left in the late 80s, and then uh, there was a couple of years of um, some civil war, uh, well, more than a couple, a few years of civil war. And then by the mid-90s, this movement called the Taliban emerged uh, out of Pakistan from Afghan uh, refugees, and they uh, went into Afghanistan and entered into Kandahar and then later Kabul and then eventually captured 90% of the country. And then there was a war between the Taliban and another group called the Northern Alliance. And it was the Northern Alliance that the United States partnered with after 9-11, which then that brought us to the current conflict we're in today and then to the events over the weekend with the agreement. Okay, so we helped overthrow the Taliban um rule. Um, And that was in 2001. Have they regained control since then? Well, if you go back even further, we helped uh, kick out the Soviet Union. Uh, uh, Decisions and actions taken by the Reagan administration were decisive in helping the Mujahideen uh, defeat the Soviet Union. Um, Have Your question, though, was, has the Taliban taken back land and territory since they were ousted in 2001? Yeah. Well, not really. Um, if you read some of the press, uh, it sounds like the Taliban were in the war winning, and you often hear the Taliban on the front foot and and um, controlling huge chunks of the territory. But the reality is quite different. I mean, if you think on September 10th, 2001, so the day before the 9-11 attacks, the Taliban controlled 90% of the whole country. They controlled every major city, every major urban center, and every major road network. And they, of course, controlled the government. Fast forward to today, um, they have never held um, a provincial capital. So forget about um, uh, the the capital of the country, Kabul. They have never held like a state capital, we would call in the United States, a a province, a provincial capital for more than a few days Hmm. at a time. And they've only done this twice, uh, Ghazni and Kunduz. And they only held this capital uh, for a few days, um, and this was a few years ago. So who, so who do we recognize currently as the leaders of Afga- Afghanistan? Well, we recognize uh, President Ghani, who was recently reelected as the legitimate uh, government uh, president of Afghanistan, and his government being the legitimate government as recognized by the United Nations and the international community and every country in the world, for that matter. Uh, but on... Going back to the Taliban and how much land they control, I do want to make one further point, if I may. Uh, The most optimistic assessment is that the Taliban currently controls about 22 districts in Afghanistan. The most pessimistic assessment that you can find publicly available is by our our brothers over at FDD, Foundation for Defense of Democracies, fantastic think tank. Um, they do something called the Long War Journal, where they f- really focus on the war in Afghanistan. And they say the number is about 62 
districts. Hmm. So let's cut it in the middle and say it's 40 districts at the Taliban control. Well, there are 421 districts in Afghanistan. So at best, they probably only control about 10% of the districts. And remember, they once controlled 90% of the country. So we should be very careful in how we describe the presence of the Taliban. It's not quite as strong or robust as as many people think. And I think that's why they um, knew they couldn't win on the battlefield and they were seeking a negotiated settlement. And so that takes us to where we are right now. Who is currently involved in the um, peace talks? Um, so we have the U.S., we have the Taliban. Anybody else involved? Well, starting on March 10th, they'll become the Afghan government and the Taliban. Okay. So getting us to this point uh, that we saw over the weekend was the U.S. government and the Taliban. And the U.S. government did this in very close consultation with the legitimate government in Afghanistan and also with NATO and our partner countries that are also serving in Afghanistan alongside the U.S., And about a year ago, the U.S. government came under a lot of criticism and some rightful criticism that they weren't including the Afghan government or allies as much in the the talks. But that's certainly changed. And um, because of that, I think there is a strong consensus that this deal is supported and is a good way to go forward. And what this deal does between the U.S. and the Taliban, most importantly, is it gets the Taliban talking to the Afghan government. Okay. So ultimately, it's going to be up to all Afghans, because let's not forget the Taliban are Afghans. It's going to be up to all Afghans to work out their differences and chart a path forward. So 2001, we entered Afghanistan for um, in, in retaliation for the 9-11 attacks, and we've been there ever since. My question is, why is now the right time for this? And why, why hasn't this been tried in the past? Well, you have to look at um, the, the political context at the time, and you have to look at the way the U.S. mission in Afghanistan has evolved over time, the way the war has evolved over the time. Uh, if you look at some of the earlier speeches by U.S. government officials, including President Bush, um, immediately after 9-11, there were two main goals for the United States to go to have in Afghanistan. The first one was to uh, kick out al-Qaeda, from the country. So Al-Qaeda cannot use Afghanistan as a place to launch, plan, and coordinate international terrorist attacks. The second goal was to basically punish the Taliban, to remove the Taliban from power. Basically, it was a, a the 21st century equivalent of a British uh, 18th century punitive raid on the frontiers of India. So it was the go in, punish them. You didn't hand over bin Laden. You don't want to cooperate with us you're getting punished, you're being removed from power. Hmm. Well, both of these things were accomplished relatively quickly by October, by early spring of 2002. But I don't think Americans were ready to withdraw from Afghanistan at that point. We, you know, the, and, uh, the World Trade Center was literally still smoking at, at that point. Right. And there was a high political tolerance to maintain a longer presence in Afghanistan. And you know what started out as very hardcore national security interests slowly morphed into the nation-building rhetoric, right. and that's that kind of became a life of its own over a period of years. But then in 2010, it was decided that by 2014, the U.S. and NATO would end leading combat operations, and they would hand over the duty of leading combat operations to the Afghans, and then the Afghans would just oh, – then the U.S. and NATO would then train the Afghan security forces. So they that's, wouldn't lead combat operations. So that's what we've been doing now. That's we've what been we've training. been doing, yes. Okay. Since 2014, yep. we've been mainly in a training, advising, and assisting role. 
in and in parallel to that, there has been a smaller counterterrorism force. So there has been some fighting against uh, you know, different terrorist groups. But for the most part, the main mission of the U.S. and our allies in Afghanistan today is a training, advising, and assisting one. And during the height of the war in 2010-2011, we had about 130,000 troops in Afghanistan. And now we have 13,000. Wow. So the war we have today isn't the same as it was in 2001, isn't the same as it was in 2009 when President Obama announced his strategy, and it isn't the same that it was in 2014 when we transitioned over to just a training operation. You go through and, and very well, and, and I'm going to link to the piece um, in the show notes, so log on to read more. Let's talk terms here. Uh, there's three main points to this agreement. What what are those? Well, the three main points are that the, the Taliban agree to um, uh, publicly denounce any links to al-Qaeda or other terrorist groups. And there's even a uh, – well, according to the agreement, there, there's going to be some sort of mechanism to enforce this, although the details of that are not very clear. Uh, the second one is the withdrawal of U.S. forces and international forces from Afghanistan, a gradual withdrawal. Hmm. Um, and the third one is the commitment by the Taliban to enter intra-Afghan talks with the Afghan government starting on March 10th. Right. So on the, the second one is very important uh, about the withdrawal of U.S. and coalition forces because um, this is actually done in a phased manner. Uh Right now, the U.S. has about 13,000 or so troops in Afghanistan, and uh, in 135 days, this number will go down to 8,600, which is the total that uh, we had in Afghanistan when President Trump entered office. And then the course over the next over the course of the next nine and a half months, if the talks go well, if it can be seen that the Taliban is le- uh, living up to their end of the bargain when it comes to denouncing terrorism and not allowing terrorist groups into the territory that they control, then U.S. and international forces will go down to zero. Yeah, and I read that um, the number of troops, the eighty six hundred troops, um, our our leaders over there have said that we can maintain what we're doing at that level. Yes. So that that means that you know while we are taking some out, we're not completely um, holding ourselves out for trouble. That's absolutely right, and I would say that the future of U.S. troops in Afghanistan is still an open question. Because there is no doubt that the Afghan government, in the course of their negotiations with the Taliban, will probably want to get some sort of concession or some sort of agreement with the Taliban that some small level of U.S. forces can remain in the country, whether it's for training or for counterterrorism. So I seriously doubt that the number will go down to absolutely to zero, but it certainly will be a lot lower than what we have today. Okay. I'm a little... um skeptical about a couple parts of this agreement that that I read. Skepticism is good, especially yes. with an agreement like this. Healthy skepticism, yes. yes. Um, I read that the Afghans agreed to release 5,000 Taliban prisoners. How can we be assured that they're not going to go right back to the battlefield? Well, as part of the agreement, the U.S. is committed to the Afghan government releasing up to 5,000 okay. prisoners by March 10th. And then the Taliban will release 1,000 prisoners by March 10th. Now, these prisoners aren't held by the United States. Okay. These are held by the Afghan government. And actually, the U.S. has no final say or authority on this. But the U.S. is committed to encouraging the Afghans to release up to 5,000 prisoners. Now, I will say this. Well, 
the Afghan government said that they're not very happy about this, and it's likely that all 5,000 will not um, be released. But remember, it says up to 5,000. And we should also remember that prisoner swaps are as old as warfare itself. Okay. This has happened for thousands of years, two different armies swapping prisoners. Um, I myself, when I served in Afghanistan in, in 2005, um, I did detainee operations. So I was dealing with prisoners every single day for a whole year. And I could tell you there's a full range of the types of people that, that are locked up. You'll have on, on the very low end, you'll have the guy who was offered by the Taliban $100 if he lays a roadside bomb and then he was captured and he's put into prison. And on the other end, you have um, you know very senior members of al-Qaeda and the Taliban. So if you release the right kind of people, the people that can reconcile, the people that can um, sign an agreement uh, to get amnesty where they promise never to go back to terrorism, and if they do, then let's say they're locked up forever mm. – there is a certain a percentage of the prison population that will fall into that low-level category. A guy trying to provide for his family got caught up doing a bad thing, and now he's paying the price for it. So I think it depends on w- what type of prisoners that are released. But, of course, you always run the risk of, of uh, prisoners that are released going right back to the fight. Okay. Now, the other point of skepticism that I have is the fact that the Taliban has been hesitant, I think, up until this point. You can guide this. They have been hesitant to denounce al-Qaeda, outright denounce them. They might make a mention of, we don't want terrorism or things like that, but have they held up that end of the bargain? Well, they've only now very publicly and very clearly with this agreement stated that they're cutting ties with international terrorist groups. One thing you have to remember is that and this is not to excuse at all anything that Taliban has done, but they never, as a movement, really had an international agenda. Uh, it's a it's a nationalist, extreme nationalist movement, posh, dominated by ethnic Pashtuns, and they have really had their sights set on Afghanistan as it exists, sort of on a map. They've never had a had global ambitions, but uh, they've allowed groups like Al Qaeda, who have global ambitions to operate in territory that they have controlled. But their number one goal is to try to get influence back in Afghanistan. So again, you have to be, um, you have to go into this with your eyes wide open. Uh, this is the first time that the Taliban have publicly uh, declared that they will cut ties with al-Qaeda. This will be easier said than done. According to the agreement, there is supposed to be some sort of observation and enforcement mechanism, but it's not clear what that's going to be. Uh, so I think we have to... Um, uh, give this uh, process an opportunity to play out, but make it very clear to the Taliban that if they go back to their old ways, then they're going to have a drone problem. I am, and, and, and your piece says this very, very clearly, and we mentioned healthy skepticism. Um, do you think that this is um, more political than it is the right move, or is this the right move that we possibly have right now? I think this is the the... The best option okay. right now, if we want to bring some sort of stable stability and peace to Afghanistan while keeping Americans safe, okay. is there any guarantee that this is going to work? Absolutely not. Um, is there a chance it could be suboptimal? Yes. But the situation we have there, one could argue after 18 years, uh, almost 19 years, is suboptimal as well. Uh, so if we want to bring peace and stability to Afghanistan, if we want to keep uh, trans, keep transnational terrorist organizations from using Afghanistan, 
then is worth trying this process. Absolutely. And I think if we manage our expectations and we stick with the Afghans through the, through the long run and work with them, I think it will be a successful country over time. I think it will be uh, secure and, and, and more prosperous. As a reminder, obviously your, your listeners can't see it, but I actually wear a 1966 watch um, designed and made by Omega that was built or designed for the Afghan Air Force. Hmm. Okay, so there was once a time in Afghanistan's past in the 1960s where it was doing well enough that Omega was making watches for their Air Force pilots. Wow. Okay, when we think of Afghanistan today, we don't think of anything like that. But in the recent past, it was stable and it was relatively prosperous and secure. And that's the hope that in the long run uh, that the country goes back to how it was in the recent past and – is able to manage its own uh, resources well, protect itself, keep terrorism out, and become more prosperous. Luke, actually, I'm going to take a photo of that watch. Okay. We're going to post it in the show notes so people can log on and see it. And I also wanted to say, uh, before we end this, thank you for your service, for uh, going over to Afghanistan, helping uh, keep the peace and sorting things out there, and also coming back here and, and doing the same thing at the Heritage Foundation. So thank you. Thank you. And that's it for another episode of Heritage Explains. Thanks so much for listening and, of course, supporting us by leaving comments and rating us. Also, extra, extra, read all about the content covered in this episode by viewing the show notes. And remember, you can always email us at managingeditor at heritage.org. That's managingeditor at heritage.org. We read your emails and we love to respond. The great Michelle Cordero is up next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by Thalia Rampersad.